planes, drones, and unmanned aircraft systems. Today, my guest, Tony Drummond, is going to share a whole other side of aerospace and aviation that you may not have thought about, and that is in the drone community, again, unmanned aircraft systems, and how she's one of the first females in this sector of aviation. If you've ever thought about a career, maybe outside of what you might have thought of as traditional in aviation, you're going to want to pay attention to today's show. Some exciting stuff to share. Maybe you've had a fear of drones. What do they mean in our airspace? What do they mean in terms of uh, privacy? I think you're going to really enjoy what is shared here today. Welcome to the Pilot Wife Podcast, your ongoing checklist for navigating your first class life as a pilot wife and aviation family. I'm your co-captain, Jackie Elmer. I've been a pilot wife for over three decades, and I cannot imagine any other lifestyle. Yes, there's no doubt it's a mix of turbulence and blue skies, but what life isn't? I'm here to bring you the best that the aviation life has to offer. If you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, details are at the end. And if you want the Pilot Wife Survival Guide and Checklist, go to pilotwifechecklist.com. Now, stow your baggage, strap in, and let's unpack the Pilot Wife life. Welcome to today's show where I'm thrilled to be interviewing Tony Drummond, who has a colorful 25 years in the private sector of aviation and the aerospace industry. She's got a great story to share. She lives right here in the Cave Creek, Scottsdale, Arizona area near me, and I know you're going to enjoy today's show. So Tony Drummond, all the way from probably five miles from me here in Cave Creek, Arizona, Welcome to the show, and it's super exciting to have a another woman in aviation and someone from the private sector. I know you've got a lot of great stuff to share with us, so let's just get started with your background and how you got started in aviation. Thanks for having me, Jackie. It's nice to meet you. So yeah, I'll jump right into it. I live in Cape Creek. I've been here for two years. I'm an East Coaster by nature. I was born and raised in New Jersey, so I got my start on the East Coast. My aviation story is is pretty interesting. I had no intention of being an aviator when I was going to college. I was going to school for nursing. I didn't like that, and I decided to switch to business. And I was home from college for the summer and decided to take a temporary job um, at Teterboro Airport in New Jersey, and that's the second busiest airport in the country. So that who knew that that was going to be the beginning to me smelling jet fuel every day, being addicted to it, and I'll never look back. You know, I was in my, I think I was 22 when that happened. So um, yeah, I started in a very, I, I jumped right directly into private aviation with no intention of ever flying an aircraft, being a pilot. Um, and it's just started right on the business end of it, right from the get-go. So it's been a really great, great run for me. And I've worked my way up literally from an executive assistant all the way to running the company over the years of, of doing this aviation. So if I can do it, there's a lot, like anyone can do it. <laughs> you know, it, it's so true. I mean, it, it, the secret to success is just continuing to put one foot after in front of the, you know what I mean? Just keep going, just yeah. keep going, just keep going. And focus on what you want and you will absolutely get there. I, I do believe that. And it's so funny that you say that I started in aviation at 20. Um, 
but I still feel that way. Like I still love the smell of jet fuel and people think that's crazy, but I still, I don't mind. Like even when you have to wait at the end of the runway to take off and I, the fumes and the smell, and I'm still a window seat girl and it's still pure and magic to me. Yeah. <laughs> Those things I'm still like, this is just amazing. The miracle of flight. So I love that it, you share that. It really that. is. And uh, I'll be honest with you. It was, it was really interesting around the time that I came in. I'm very lucky that I, I come from a big old school Italian family. I have six brothers and two sisters. So I was very accustomed to being around males. So obviously moving into the role, working at the airport, you know, there was one woman working at the desk and the rest of the entire airport was, was completely filled with males. So never in my, in my years of thinking of what do I want to be when I grow up? Would I ever have thought that here I'd be a girl working in, you know, with, with all the guys. And as my career progressed, um, it's really helped build me to who I am today. When I went from being an assistant and the opportunity came to be a sales representative, I'll never forget. I went home from work and I was explaining to my husband and I was saying, you know, there's, they're interviewing for this, this position. And and I really, I can do such a great job at this position, but you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a guy. And the owner of the company was at that point saying, oh, you know, we don't know about hiring a woman for sales. They were just blatantly, you know, it was, it was 20 years, 25 years ago, you know, they, it was just a different, it was a different world back then. But that actually gave me the passion to say, oh, you think I can stand back, hold, you know, hold my beer, <laughs> as they say. Um, yeah. And so it really gave me like the fire and the inspiration to be able to push forward and be uh, one of the guys and make sure that I wasn't being left out and that I was, I was going to be just as successful, if not more than, than the rest of them. And it, it was a battle, but I earned my respect within the industry and it's helped me get to where I am today. Oh, and we have so much ground to cover on that. So we will come back to that for sure. So let's talk. All right. So a summer job. Um, did you go back to school? Did you, <laughs> let's, let's just even go back that far. Yeah. No, um, what ended up happening is I, I ended up staying home and I didn't end up going back for my last year of college. So I have like, you know, 22 credits left to get my actual bachelor's degree, but I didn't end up, I had some other family things that came up. So I ended up staying with the job um, at the airport, at Peterborough Airport. And I did transition into a sales role over time. And then I went ahead and transitioned up one more time to um, running the department. So by the time I was done with uh, that company and I moved on to my next company, I was in a very, very high sales position there. I had learned a lot. The company had been bought and sold a few times, but I was really hands-on. It was you know, hands-on, on the ramp, dealing with the customers as they came into the airport, understanding service level. Um, the company was bought by a European company called Private Air at one point, which is now Gamma Aviation Wheels Up. So it's all one big happy family. But the service aspect and the training that I got during that time was just not replaceable. I don't even know if they offer that type of service anymore. I was really lucky to be able to be trained in a way that um, service came first. And especially in this high net worth business that I'm working in, it was, it was important that you understood who was on the other side you know, of the phone. For, for could be anybody, you know. So, so it was great. Did you say it was two years before you transitioned from being an assistant into sales? Yeah, I guess it was about two years. Yeah, it was about a two-year transition. I transitioned into sales about in I want to say around 1999 or 2000. 
and it was right about a year and a half before two before nine eleven hit. So I was I was there for nine eleven. Um, we were at Peterborough Airport. We were able to see everything from across the ramp. I was what's now Signature Flight Support standing there. It was just really surreal and that whole situation. We were running um, a lot of jets at that point. We had all our planes landing all over the country and staying put. Um, but yeah, during that time, we we were running about 17 to 20 airplanes uh, for that company. And I was there until about 2002. And I transitioned out in starting my own 135 for another owner. Um, and so I just decided to take it to the next level. I started young. You know, I, was, I was started young in my career. So by the time I was in my mid-30s, I had already owned my first company. So, it, you know, it was really, um, and it was all real, I want to call it luck, blessings, uh, good, you know, good fortune, I'm not sure, just hard work. But it was a lot of um, excellent mentors, male, that mostly male, that did believe in me um, to help push me to the next level. And it was my belief in myself. And at that point, I knew nothing else. All I knew was private jets. I knew the private jet lifestyle. I knew how to handle those high level of concerts and clients. And that's, that's what I was doing from the time I was very, very young. So that's why I'm very good at what I do now, because I've spent my, my whole entire career doing it. You know, a lot of people are scared of sales. I mean, I, I, it's, it's right. You know, it's one of, it's the highest paid profession, but it's also one of those things that people, oh, you know, I don't want to do sales. Uh, I can't be salesy that kind of thing. So what was it, what was it about sales that attracted you? Um, especially starting, I think, did you say in nursing school? Like that's a totally different. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I started in the aviation company and I was doing all of the assist administrative assistance, we were doing um, road shows, for instance, back then it was big with the dot-com era with the banking. So we had tons and tons of work coming through and I really got to know the client. And what I realized was, you know, I'd be funny story. You know, I'm in the bathroom at Signature Flight Support or what was, what is now. And they're coming out and I'm just like, you know, putting on my gloss, washing my hands. And I look in the mirror and there's big hair, Diana Ross standing, looking at me, Hey baby, right in the mirror, right at me. And I'm like, at that point, I said to myself, these people are real. These are real human beings. (laughs) They need us. They, they want to be treated as equals. They want to be treated, um, just like anybody else, they're just providing a service. They're, they they do not want to be looked at. Well, a lot of them don't want to be looked at as special. So I remember that time going, you know what? I love this. I'm never doing anything else. I am going to be here to service these accounts. I'm comfortable. I'm not scared. I have no fear of um, working with a billionaire because to me, I don't know if you're a billionaire or you're worth 10 bucks. It doesn't make a difference. I'm, I'm treating you the same. And, and because I've only known that because that's been my only career, I've been able to take that with me as I've moved up and, um, and been able to apply it and be honest as we've, as I've grown different companies over the years. So that's my, that's my little, you know, key to success, I guess. I love that. So give us some insight then into planning and arranging these world tours and productions uh, and private jet travel for the elite. That's, um, you know, and, and I love that you shared like, you know, kind of, I mean, you didn't say this, but the same thing, like yeah. they, they'll put their pants on one leg at a time or whatever that expression is. That's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I I really jumped into it right away. I had some very very big high name clients that came in, and I you know as a woman, one thing we have I, I was always attention to detail, always attention to detail. So I really enjoyed the planning and the logistics part of it. I loved the logistics. So when they would come to me 
uh, for instance, I had a couple of big name clients that would come to me back then. It was say it was 2000 and hey, we want to go around the world for the summer. Here's where here's the 30 stops we want to make. And I would I would go, oh, my God, this is my lucky day. Number one, that's a very lucrative trip. That's over a million dollars worth of flying. So, of course, that's going to make our numbers look great. But number two, I got a chance to logistically plan it and take the map out. Gone are the, you know, we didn't have, we had digital, but it wasn't like that. Like I took the globe out and I went from point to point with a rubber band and said, oh my God, this is, oh, we're going to stop here first. And then it makes sense to stop here and routed the entire, I love the logistical part of planning. And then I would get with operations, we would get the permits and we would plan it. And then we would send the passengers all over the world. And so once I started to get the knack of that, um, and I understood how that worked. I started to do what we call in our industry, mass movements or activations. And that's when you get a bunch of, uh, say you're doing the golden globe awards and you're flying in. Um, it's usually one company that's in charge of flying in all the celebrities that's hosting the golden globe. So maybe it would be XYZ company would come and say, Tony, we have 15 planes coming in today. Like what we're going to need, we need you. We need, okay, everyone calm down. We've got this. So they'd give me the agenda. And I'd start to pull out the logistics. And I will say that there's only a handful of us in this industry, in the private jet industry that can do that because it's its own set, own set of madness. But I would, I would, I would start to pull it together and, and I would get, um, I would just be able to pull the entire, the entire thing together and make it match and, and work it out and run it as a roadshow logistically and then work it back service-wise. I would start from logistics and safety and work it back. So I became really good at activations, multi-planes at the same, all launching and coming back at the same time. And I still do that to this day. I work on two or three, maybe four really big activations or mass movements, if you will, for the year where we have anywhere between seven and 35 planes, 31 is the most we've ever done, um, planes together uh, and moving at the same time. So it's really, it's a symphony of, of, everyone working together aviation as you know that i mean pilots and and flight attendants and the people that are doing the maintenance and the fuelers everyone holds a super super special position and all of us have to dance together to get it to work yeah for sure yeah that was beautifully described it's like an orchestra you know that's it, how i feel like when yeah. i'm doing it i really feel like it's like a, you know i'm you know <laughs> so then you transitioned in that same company into sales and so what, I, what a difference, like, what did your role look like? So as I transitioned into sales, it was myself and we had, it was a very small sales office. We were in a satellite sales office at Peterborough Airport. We transitioned, um, I would say there was four of us at that point. And I'll be happy to say that after like the second year, I was outselling everybody. So I, I was really happy about what I, my little niche of what I had been working on. And so I did transition out of that. I started to grow out of it. Again, like I mentioned, I started the new company and we started a 135 certificate with a couple of airplanes and really grew it from scratch. So I understood how to grow a company from nothing, from just having an idea and putting it, somebody paying us to, to put it together into paper. And so I did that for about a year and that morphed into um, us managing myself and two other partners, managing a company that not a business anymore. It was called First Flight Aviation. And they were a great company. They, they hosted, uh, they managed, I don't know, 10 or 12 both streams. So we started jumping in to do sales and managing their fleet. So I really had a lot of, um, my passion was really for marketing and sales and 
whether I myself was managing the aircraft or another company was managing the aircraft, they started hiring me to do the marketing and sales for them. So I, that's why my journey transitioned over the years from actually selling a fleet, working for a company that had a large fleet, to then doing consulting in 2008. I started um, my first company that I owned um, by outright with one other partner by myself. And I started that in 2008 called Embraer Solutions. And that was a marketing and consulting company. So people would call and say, hey, I have three Lear 60s and we need to sell them. And I would say, okay, Jim, that sounds great. Let's work on a, a marketing and strategize a plan for you. And I would go out there and represent those planes for, for Jim to the industry and, and sell them when he wasn't using them, uh, you know, according to FAA regulations. And I just taught myself pretty much what I needed to know in life between my mentors and, and those around me and myself just grew into consulting. And so that's where I sat for many, many years doing all different kinds of consulting until I got out here. Got it. Now, I know you've worked closely with air medical transport, and I think you have a, a little soft spot for that. So talk to us about that project and where all that fit in. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's another great part of my story. So my story with the, with medical transport. So let's set the stage. It was probably what, so it was March of 2019 uh, or was it 2020? It was COVID during, during COVID, I believe it was 2020. So yeah. So my husband and I were in a position where we were, my husband's lost his job because of COVID and, or, or his job was pretty much diminished because of COVID. And I was at a position where I was already working from home. So I didn't, I was doing consulting. So we decided to take a trip. We'll go West. Let's just pack up the kids and the dog and take a little, you know, take a month away from, from everything. And we'll go out West. And we got out here. I reconnected with a, a great guy that I had met years prior at an activation I was doing at Coachella. And he said, you know what, Tony, I'm glad you're out here. I don't know if you're planning on staying permanently, but I really need you to come and help us with this project that we're working on here in, in uh, Nevada. So it was at that point that I, we all looked at each other, the family, and said, bye-bye, New Jersey. We're staying here in Arizona. I sent my husband home, filled the house, packed everything up, <laughs> came out, and I started the, uh, the company. I started with Prestige Air Group, which I'm now um, part owner of Prestige Air Group after the years that have gone by. But the medical project was something that I never saw myself doing. It was 24 hours a day. We were without within a two-hour dispatch. And what we were doing is, I want to call it a beta test with a company here out of Arizona that would take, um, would they call it a, a transmedic unit? And what they do is we would take doctors, fly the doctors with the actual unit. And in the aircraft, we would take it, they would, they would go into the hospital, we would wait for them, and then they would put the, the, whether it be lungs or your heart or whatever it would be in the actual unit while the blood is still flowing. So as opposed to the old times of, you know, taking a heart and putting it on ice and then worrying about reconnecting it. No, the technology was there now that fully we were able to keep the blood flowing through the, through the organs. And so this was pretty much my life was at a point where I said, yes, I'm going to dedicate some time. I'm going to dedicate some months to this and making it perfect, making it actually perfecting the mission. And so we did, I believe we did um, during the trial, we did about a hundred and 65 flights or something like that in a year. And we, you know, sometimes you're able to take the, the organ and, and bring it back and they're able to transplant it. And, and sometimes we run out of time and you're not able to, but um, 
while I was doing the organ transplant and I was losing sleep and I was up during the night and I was probably losing my mind because of lack of sleep. That's when I got the epiphany about the drones because I was sitting in bed and it was the middle of the night and I was tracking an aircraft and I'm, oh my God, plane. oh, here's the heart and they're on the ground and I'm, oh my God, they have to get to the hospital. Where are they? They're in the car. They're in traffic. What? They're in traffic with someone's heart. So there's got to be a better way. So that's, again, the transition is always need-based. So the medical company, um, we finished up with them in April of last year, about a year ago, we finished the trial with them and it was excellent. And it was everything it should have been. And it brought a really soft spot to my, to my soul for uh, medical transport and also brought a lot of eye opening to where we could be with technology in the future to help support both that infrastructure and other infrastructures. So that's where that transition came from. And that's what launched Global Aerial Management Group. Yes, that's exactly what launched that. So and that's your baby today. That is my baby. So I, I own two companies today. I own Prestige Air Group, which is our 135. We have jets that are based in Las Vegas, Nevada. So we're pretty much staying on the West Coast with the, uh, with the Premier. Doesn't go about more than three and a half hours in time. So we stay like around Dallas and we go all the way up to Washington, down to Cabo and, and like pretty much that circular area. Um, and then Global Aerial is my, she's my, she's my child. <laughs> she's, we birthed her and she's just been filled with love and great ideas and inspiration from a lot of inspiring women um, and some men as well. But the ideas are developing and they're taking shape into education they're taking shape into um, how to use UAS, which is unmanned aerial systems, and UAV, unmanned aircraft, and unmanned aerial vehicles, to help us today. And what are we going to do in the future? And how are we going to be able to apply these new technologies? So, yeah, it's it's been just a really beautiful transition, very calm and very peaceful, and nothing, you know, nothing, um, nothing nothing harsh. It's just been very natural, very natural transition from aviation and working aviation into the new ecosystem of what UAS is going to look like in how we, the future of flight. Share that, share your vision for that with us, if you would, because it's, um, it's uncharted territory for many people. Yes, a lot of people don't really understand it. Like you see a little drone. I mean, I, I was down in Miami last December. So over a year ago, and I was hanging out in a pool and I saw something up there and I, for, for just a minute, I thought like it was a kid flying a, you know, an, an, a, a, what's it called? You know, an, an airplane, whatever it's called, electronic. Mm-hmm. I can't even think of what the word is. And then yeah. all of a sudden I realized it was a drone and here came a wedding at the pool, one thing over. And I realized they were videotaping it with a drone and it was just so funny. And, you know, it just really opened up my mind to just so many different things. For me, my limited scope of that has been around real estate photography, you know, certainly familiar with that and some of, and people having fun with them and now Amazon and other things delivering with it. But, you know, it's, there's so much out there and so much that most of us don't even know and understand. So paint a vision for us. Yeah, I sure will. So drones started off right now, like when we visualize drones, we visualize drones as what hobbyists would use. And you are 100% on the money. I spoke to a, a young lady who got her degree in UAS and aviation. And one of her professors, would, she said, well, now that I have my, my, my 107 pilot's license so I can fly a drone, 
legally um, through the FAA, like, what can I do with it? And, and she said, the professor said, you could do real estate. And <laughs> I about fell off my chair because I said, what are you talking about? What? That's, there's so much you can do with it. And like everything else, Jackie, you know, the, the amount of information that's coming in so fast, like technology, it's so, so fast. We can't get it out fast enough. It's coming in so fast. We literally can't get it out fast enough. My vision of, and you are 100% right. When people see drones, especially here in Cape Creek, I'm just going to put it out there. The first thing they say, is, don't ever think a drone's coming here. I'm going to shoot it out of the sky because <laughs> if they don't know any better, they don't know that my drone, that I have approval from the FAA to fly because I put in my flight path, you know, I put in my, my flight coordinates and they say, yes, here's your flight plan. You're good to fly. It could be spraying, um, it could be spraying some kind of uh, organic material that's, that's killing black mold. It could be um, spraying fire retardants. Let's talk about where we live here in Arizona. We're talking about drone use for public safety, for infrastructure, people using drones to check the wires, people using drones to clean the outside of buildings so you don't have to send a guy up on a skyscraper. Um, people using drones for humanity drones for deliveries. There's companies that are now using drones in Africa that are actually, it's like almost like a slingshot and they're, they're slingshotting these drones through the air to deliver vaccines. Um, we have people that are using drones. There's, there's so many different use cases. And one thing that I have a huge passion for in general, aviation, women in aviation, girls in aviation, girls in technology, girls in engineering. I feel like we need the diversity. If we don't change the diversity and we don't change the ecosystem, it's never going to change. Part of that is that we're really in this, um, we're in a newfound era, if you would, of what the transportation system is going to look like for tomorrow. And the ecosystem of, as you could, like you just said, deliveries. Now, we don't see deliveries here in Arizona when you look up in the sky, but if you're in North Carolina, you do. They're doing tests, you know, they're doing a lot of testing and they're doing runs. So I believe that my mission right now in this very segment, although when I started the drone company, I didn't know this, but one of my main missions now is community awareness. How are we using drones in a positive way? How can we get the public to see drones and not feel like they're being, somebody's up there spying on you? Um, how can we paint a little smiley face on the bottom of the drone? So when you look up, you don't get scared. Um, you know, I have a ton of ideas of, of things to do, but the drones for critical infrastructure, drones for agriculture, drones for sustainability. You're talking about going out on a farm now and spraying um, directly over the crop. So there's no there's no um, drift that's mm -hmm. going to take those chemicals, breathing it downhill. There's so much positive that's going to come out. And right now, it's just to get people to recognize and not to be scared. Don't don't be scared. Let's educate you on why you shouldn't be scared. Um, like any new technology that comes out, people are, I'm not going to ever use Alexa. I'm going to put it in my house. It's going to record everything I'm saying. Two years later, Alexa, turn on all my lights and make me a hamburger. We're in the same. It's the same. In my mind, it's the same process. Just getting getting the inf information out there. Yeah, boy, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, that is the biggest piece is educating the public because how it started and and it and it is. It's like you said, it's like anything. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. I I just literally, I think it was this morning read the um 
Henry Ford quote, if I would have asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. That's true. <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, you can't ask people what they want. You've got to have that visionary that sees it, takes it, and then shows the people what they want that they didn't yes. even know. <laughs> yes. And so for me, listen, I've been very, very blessed at a young age to be blessed to be in aviation, to be, have these wonderful mentors, these, these guys that took me under their wing and said, you, you can do this, get out there. You've got what it takes. And, and for me, I've been a mentor to many. And before I leave this earth, there's going to be many, many more, many more women, especially in the workforce, in our, in our work, course, whether it's aerospace, aviation, like I said, engineering, unmanned aerospace, I don't really care what it is. Come on in girls, we have jobs for you here. I know they're not being, um, for instance, my daughter, I'll just put it into my daughter's 22. She's graduating college this year. Happy about that. But when we were looking at colleges for her, and the colleges were coming into her school in New Jersey, there wasn't a single person who discussed anything as far as engineering, as far as technology, as far as coding, as far as um, aviation at all, there was people saying, do you want to be a teacher? Do you want to go into school for business? Do you want to do you want to do this? Do you, and talking to the boys about the things that they want to do. And no, we're not there anymore. It, it just baffles me that we are right? still, I mean, I'm thinking what, four years ago, five years ago, your daughter was in that and still yeah. really, we, uh, I don't know so why that is. But, uh, anyway, it's because there's got to be a lot of we're making strides. Like for instance, we do have, you know, we have women's uh, international women's month this month or whatever they're, it's it's, everything's focused on on women this month. And believe me, I'm not one of these women that's out there. um, I don't want to use the burn your bra type of, I'm not, I believe in equal, I believe in an equal workforce. And I believe there needs to be male allies working with the, with the females. And most of what I've been around, obviously I've been blessed to own my own businesses has been that. So I want to be able to offer that. The education programs that we're putting forth, probably most likely through Global Aerial seems to be the conduit for that, are going to be able to take in women from all over the place and teach them. I want to put courses together that go to the colleges that actually say to the colleges, here's what, I w- here's what you can teach your students. So when they ask the question, thank you for my degree, what do I do with it? My daughter's going to come out with a degree going, what do I do with it? And she's already asking your mom, what do I do? So I want to be able to give women and, and people in, you know, especially women in my, in my field, those answers, here's what you do and here's how you do it. And here's the selection that you have to choose from. When we have the women at NASA going, we don't have enough women. We don't have enough people to choose from. We want to make this diversified. The guys love it. The ladies love it. We want diversification, but we just don't have what it takes. We don't have the manpower. So it's critical at this point that we get the message across. So I will talk to everybody for as much as I can about this issue. And I love that because it's interesting of all the female aviators that I've interviewed, all of them basically say the same thing. They, the positive experience, none of them really felt like the male domination was trying to hold them down. All of them had really positive things to say. So it's like, it's clear that there's a disconnect somewhere. There's some little critical piece that's missing that, that is stopping more women from pursuing those fields. And I mean, you, you hit it on the head in terms, again, like colleges and, and what they're being advised with. So, I mean, that's the key missing piece where the education process needs help. And 
you've got an exciting upcoming project with NASA. So maybe that'll be a big part of it. Share that with us. Yes. There's a bunch of us right now working in the field. There's a bunch of field testing going out there. When you're talking about autonomous flight and you're talking about drones and unmanned flight, the first thing we have to figure out is how, 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 how. So although we have, you'll look on um, CNN and you'll see these huge urban evital and these um, electric vertical takeoff and landing companies that are coming up with these air taxis and these, I think we have over 500 different air taxi ideas right now. But people aren't understanding, or a lot of people aren't understanding, that's great that we have that, but what's the infrastructure? How are we getting that? In, how are we getting them into the air? So NASA and the FAA are working together on a lot of different causes. And there's a lot of companies, not just NASA and the FAA, but they've kind of taken the reins of working together and getting a lot of companies to do these test programs that are, are using what we call UTM, which is the unmanned traffic management system that they're putting together. So NASA is putting on um, an industry day in a couple of weeks that I'll be going to in person. I'm super excited to get up there just to see, here's what we've collected as a group. And here's what we figured out as a group. So this is a huge, important step on next steps of how we get these air taxis into the sky. Because Jackie, they're coming. The air taxis are coming. The vertipoids are coming. Um, they're already put, built, being built overseas. We're a little behind here in the U.S. But if you look at Israel, Australia, even the EU, they're way ahead of, of where we are with the uh, unmanned space. So we're going to be looking overseas to see what's happening. But we're there. So yes, I'll be I'll be attending that really cool workshop and we be able to pull out this information. There's no other place that you're going to be able to get this information from other than actually being there in person or attending seminars that are, are strictly um, made just for that, just to get the information out. How exciting. Well, congratulations on Thank being you. part of that. I know it's, I'm sure it's just a door that's opening to a bunch of other great opportunities. It is. And and you've been recognized as a woman and a team to watch in the UAS system. So, or a ecostructure, I should say, or whatever you want to exactly call it. Tell us about that. Um, what that means to you, what you feel like that means to women in the profession. And yeah. yeah. So um, we were very, very lucky. Our team won the women to watch 2021 it's women in drones sponsors it women to watch in in unmanned space and we won the Valadis aerospace innovate team innovation award so all of the work that we were doing last year um, most of our work last year actually coincided with the travel that we were doing we were doing spraying so what we would do is we would take our drone and we would go into um, an arena or a school and we would go in and we would spray a non-toxic solution that would last for up to 90 days to keep a micro, like microbes and all kinds of fungus and all kinds of black mold. It would keep everything away and kind of keep it safe. So we were using electrostatic uh, sprayers to go ahead and, and spray that. So um, that's where we were going last year with that. And now we've kind of moved away from that and we're starting to open up into um, other, explore other different realms, some of them in agriculture. Uh, one of the realms we're looking at right now is called the FAA Part 137, which gives us regulation from the F FAA to be able to spray chemicals outside with a drone. And people, they, the FAA Part 137 regulation 
is used right now, you know, with like ag crop sprayers and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's the same, it's the same thing, except we're using drones to do that work now. So we did a lot of research on that last year. And yes, we were awarded with that really great innovation that for our first year in business, you know, women to watch innovation awards for the team. The girls were so excited about feeling like the work is, is getting us somewhere and we're going to keep at it. We're not giving up. We're going to keep turning over the rocks and, and building and exploring and researching and developing. So tell us about the team. Who is the team? Okay. <laughs> so the team, we don't have a very big team. It's myself. Um, there's another girl on my team, Samantha Zelnick. She does a lot of the research for me, um, with me, I should say, not for me. She's doing a lot of research in the um, agricultural space. We're doing on how we can apply drone spraying to stop mold buildup in greenhouses for cannabis and for crops and other things. So she's doing that type of research. We have um, Taylor Canberra, who is um, also volunteering with us. She does a lot of the event planning for us. And she does a lot of the research when it comes to students, new students and and that type of thing. And then we we have a director of compliance that works with me in the aviation mason. He works with me in the aviation department. And he works on uh, the drone compliance. He's working on that segment with me at, at Global Aerial. And then I have one other girl that's Monica Canberra. And Monica is um, helping also with the education. And I would be remiss to not mention Lori, who is our expert, um, Lori Graben, who's our, her, our expert UAS. Uh, she's got her master's in UAS and she is just amazing drone pilot. She's a female pilot, inspiration, and she make sure we stay legal. So <laughs> she, so what tell, describe the difference between a drone pilot and a private pilot or aviation pilot, you know, so I, I, you're taking pretty much the same test to get your part 107, um, license. So it's, I would say your part 107, which is your part 107 is, is your drone license is like the written part of your flight test. Now I don't fly and I'm not a pilot. So, you know, to get your private pilot's license, you have to have a certain amount of flight hours. So this would like be flying without the flight hours. So getting your part 107 pilot, you're learning the airspace, um, your license, you're learning how to, you know, how to navigate the airspace and you're understanding the different levels. So you're, you're learning pretty much a lot of stuff that a pilot's going to be learning just at a much, much lesser scale. So Lori right now, um, I, I myself, am going to get my 107 drone, drone license just to have it. And Lori has it and she's taken it a couple steps up to get her master's degree as well. And she's really, really um, educated in risk management and a lot of those other things. So she, she's helping us in creating platforms that are going to help us to help others manage their drones as they come in. Again, this is a brand banking new, you know, industry. So it's all being unfolded right before our eyes. Every, every, it's changing daily. There's nothing written. There's no books. There's no how to's. We're figuring it out and we're writing it as we speak. You're the pioneers. Very exciting. <laughs> it Very is. Exciting. It is exciting. It really is, especially for true ab geeks as I consider myself. <laughs> So one of the things that you hear all the time in the pilot world is that, you know, oh, I knew from the time I was eight years old. I mean, that's my husband, you know, that I wanted to be a pilot. How, how does that trend, you know, and it's like flying above the earth and blah, blah, blah. How, how would a dream like that or a goal like that transition to the drone pilot scenario? And I realize you're not a pilot. So I'm asking you to. Yeah, you can be. um, Well, you can be a drone pilot. Anybody can be a drone pilot at 16 years old. It's a little bit. um, It's a little bit easier, obviously. 
But the transition, I would say, isn't really when you look at piloting, you're not sitting in the airplane, you're not actually flying the plane, but you're still commanding the drone what to do. Um, you're going to be using drone piloting for more um, infrastructure type of and, and service. So you're going to be piloting a drone to, like I said, to do cleaning. You can be piloting a drone to to do um, uh, drone deliveries. You can be piloting a drone to do a lot of different things. And the good thing with piloting a drone is you don't even have to be on site. We're working on certain things that are like beyond the visual line of sight. So you can be a drone pilot and get certain waivers so you don't actually have to see your drone. Right now, the FAA wants you to see your drone. So if you have eyes have to be on your drone at all times. But we're working on new things with the FAA and other um, and NASA, and we're working on and lots of other people are involved in these what they call BVL BV loss or beyond visual line of sight um, flying. So there's a lot of different there's a lot of different careers that can come out of getting your 107 license, and that includes not just running the drone, but also autonomously running the systems that run the drone. So this is all part of the infrastructure. Interesting. And just to for clarification, because there are going to be a lot of people, much like myself, who this is a whole new world. Define yeah. again UAS. Define UAS. Um, so it UAS is unmanned aerial system. So that's anything that's unmanned. It's a system that we're putting up into the sky. It could be a drone, um, like I said, like the spring drone that has the claws coming out that has different squirters and and of course i'm not using the right word you know it has different <laughs> sensors on the side of it squirters. those thingies uh, <laughs> yes a little thingies on the side um so there there's there's all different types of um unmanned uh aerial vehicles that are going to be in the sky whether they're actually piloted by somebody who's who's doing the piloting right there from the ground or it's autonomously programmed to pilot say farming we put we go in we map everything out first and then after it's mapped, the drone comes back, it lands, boom, boom, boom. The um, operator will go ahead, the pilot will go ahead and put the coordinates in. And then the drone will just go up and run the path of the entire thing that it just mapped and spray exactly what you want it to spray, as high as you want it to spray it. So it leaves the margin of error down. So over time, just like we, you know, 10, 20 years ago, we weren't using our phones as a computer. Now our phone is a computer. Well, sooner or later, the drone is a flying computer. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. Um, and you can program it to do whatever you want to do. And just, I want to bring up, because we got to talk about the, the pink elephant in the room when it comes to drones. People are terrified of drones, what they can do. Are they going to bomb me? Are they going to shoot me? Are they going to... They have more counter-UAS or counter-terrorism or counter-attack um, things to stop that from happening than you can shake a stick at. Um, when you do the Super Bowl, for instance, and you have those people that are rogue, like, hey, I'm coming in, I'm, I'm going to get in there and take some pictures of the Super Bowl. No, you're not, because we have drones from the ground that counter U.S. people are going to shoot it up into the sky, click into you and bring you down onto the ground with one fell swoop. So there's the technology being built to counter all of those, quote unquote, what you would think are, are bad things happening. You know, so we have much, much more possibility of drones for good and bringing UAS into light to be able to help us in many of our daily tasks and help us safety-wise, help hikers, help firefighters, help police all of these people, um, then we will, you know, with people coming in trying to do underhanded things. 
Well, I'm glad you brought it up, obviously. And at the same time, it's like we can look back on almost any technology. I mean, our phones, right? Yes, ma'am. I mean, mm-hmm. just even the things we said, oh, it's great. Or Alexa. I mean, just there's so many things. Yeah, there can be bad in anything, anything. Yes. I don't care what you want to, you know, bring up. We can always find the, oh, yeah, but what if kind of thing. But yeah. why allow the fear of that, that negative side outweigh all the positives that can come from it. So I'm glad you You're brought so it right. up, but there you go. Boom. Box. Yeah. Check. <laughs> yeah. So what do you think the biggest challenge is for UAS? Um, well, like I said, the biggest challenge is definitely going to be community awareness. That's, that's our number one challenge. This is my opinion, by the way, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of other people that are going to disagree with, me. but that's, that's been the biggest challenge. The second biggest challenge that we have is to get the infrastructure set. And that's why I'm, I'm participating and lots of other companies are participating in these programs uh, with the FAA in, and with NASA. So together we're working on these projects. Not like people are coming and going, here's the airspace. The FAA is not coming in and saying, you need to do this, this, and this. They're coming in and going, we see there's a necessity. We want to, have, we want to come up with a solution. So creating the solution and creating the map that we're gonna be able to follow is number two in my book. So we're going to get people used to what they see. We're going to get them comfortable with what they see. We're going to start getting, everybody's going to be, it's all, oh my God, there's a drone coming in the air until your coffee ends up on your doorstep from Dunkin' Donuts or whatever they, the Dutch bros out here, you know, and it just drops onto your doorstep and you're having a hot cup of coffee. You go, oh, I'm just kidding. A drone, <laughs> drone's no problem. That one doesn't shoot me. You know, the, the phone's no problem. It's not recording what I say. What are you talking about? So um, yeah, that's, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see. But again, me being at this level, I'm super excited to go to this um, industry event next week because I want to see who's there. I want to see who's in who, which, which teams are, are participating in these use cases because the, the FAA puts these use cases, open use cases out and says, hey, America, does anybody want to help us with a use case? We want to be able to figure this out. Let's get some use cases. And whoever jumps on it are the people that are leading the pack. So I'm curious to see, number one, who's there and who's doing what, because I personally haven't researched it enough to know um, which teams are doing what, and then to see how the integration of the teams are and to see what can I do to bring new talent into those teams, new female minds, bright minds into those teams to add the diversified um, approach to it. So we're not in the old boys club, as you say. As I say, because I've been there for a lot of years. As, as we say, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be where drones are going to be in the next. I've seen where they've gone in one year, and I'm I can't, I literally can't keep up. I don't know how to get the information out there. I use LinkedIn. I have my website. I do social media, which I'm going to need to get a new social media uh, person soon. But other than that, um, and the educational sessions we're going to be using, it's so important. And thank you for having me today to have platforms to share the information so people understand it's out there. Reach out to me. You're interested in UAS. Maybe you know you you don't want to fly a plane, but you love flying. This is an option. This is for people that want to be in the sky like me that don't want to be in the sky. <laughs> I don't want anybody's life in my hands, but I do love everything that has to do with light. I love that. And it leads to my next question, which is for anyone listening that might want to get involved, what would that look like? What would their first steps be? Do they reach out to you? Yes, absolutely. So the first steps would be, you know, if you have LinkedIn, jump on LinkedIn, follow us on LinkedIn, me personally, um, 
or, or Global Aerial Management Group, reach out to me. I have all of my contact information on there as well. I'm on, I'm on all the social media channels, and so is Global Aerial personally. Um, so I would be happy to point you guys in the right direction, whether it be people that are looking to change careers, maybe it's uh, students that are looking to get involved, or just people, there's other people, there's other aviators that are out there right now that are going to be watching this that might want to get involved in something new. And we have a lot of spots for you. We're starting a nonprofit and then the upcoming months for education, um, aviation. I know there's a lot of aviation education out there available for women, but I really want to start including the UAS stuff. They need to know that it's an option for them. They need to know. And it's a great option. So, um, and it's a lucrative option as well. So they can make a very, very good living. Uh, and there's, there's no reason why it should be reserved just for the guys. Absolutely not. Right. So and yeah, reach out to all me. Of, Yeah, all of that will be in the show notes so people can access Great. that and get in touch for sure. Well, Tony, thanks so much for being here. Any final thoughts you want to share? No, I mean, just thanks so much for having me, Jackie. I mean, just to have a to have a, an outlet to be able to share and to be able to talk to women that are interested in aviation. It just fills my soul, as I know it does yours. We're very passionate about what we do. We're a small group of women aviators, and um, I'd like to grow that group. So whatever, if anybody's interested in helping, granting, you have educational stuff, grants uh, that you want to pass down to young ladies, we're happy to apply those properly and get get these these girls the education that they need and I am saying girls I I would like to leave that open of course my passion is that because that's just my passion but obviously I, I'd leave that open to people that are interested in general absolutely well very good well again thanks for being on the show can't wait to get this out here good luck yes. on your trip you, um, with NASA and then we'll have to we'll come back through and we'll find out what you learned and what the next steps are yes thanks so much and thanks for having me absolutely have a good one If you like what you're hearing on the show, grab the Pilot Wife Checklist at pilotwifechecklist.com. And if you have a topic suggestion or a story to share on the show, go to ask.pilotwifepodcast.com. Share the show with any pilot wives, military wives, or anyone in aviation you know who might share and benefit from this similar experience. I'll see you on the journey.